I don't know how many people know this about me, but I currently have four tattoos and all of them are on my hands. One of them is the umbrella from the That's the Spirit artwork. And I got that because that album means the fucking world to me and it was legit the catalyst for me to even think about a path where I could talk about music for a living. Like, I've been obsessed with music since I was a toddler, but That's the Spirit and Bring Me the Horizon in general are the reasons why I'm the way I am today. Actually, that was a fucking terrible way to phrase that. What, what I mean, or what I should be saying, is that That's the Spirit is responsible for so many of the things that make up my life today, like the positive things. So it was like a no-brainer for me to have that specific piece of art tattooed on my body forever. My point in saying all this is that last week I was out eating with my mom for her birthday and the waitress actually recognized what the tattoo is from and she asked me like, oh, is that Bring Me the Horizon? And I was like, yeah. And that was fucking cool because that's the first time ever that anybody in a public setting has noticed my Bring Me the Horizon tattoo for being a Bring Me the Horizon tattoo and not just some random umbrella. So yeah, that was just a random story that I wanted to start this episode off with because I thought maybe it could help bring positive vibes because my mind itself is not exactly a positive vibe currently, but we're going to keep going, going to see where this, where this episode takes us. Um, I started a new series within this podcast a few days ago called Made a Scene. What that series is meant to accomplish is that it gives me space and time to talk about one specific song on its anniversary and detail how I feel about it and why I think it's historic to the alternative scene. And so this will only be done for songs that I think can be argued as being major and monumental. Just to give an example, the first episode was about If You Can't Hang by Sleeping of Sirens. That to me makes perfect sense for the series because it's Sleeping of Sirens' biggest song and just overall one of the biggest songs ever in this music scene. So I want to stick to those types of songs and not venture down avenues where I talk about a song that's important to me, but not necessarily anyone else. Like, at some point this month, Illusion and Control by Seosin turns 5 years old. And I could spend a whole episode talking about why that song means a lot to me, but it didn't change anything in the scene and I don't know if it was important to anyone besides myself. Maybe exceptions can be made somewhere down the line, but for now, that series is just exclusive to the songs that defined their genre and scene. Okay, so having gotten through that portion of the intro, I'm going to go ahead and talk about the singles from last week that I gathered up for this show. I th it's like 37 or 38. I didn't actually get a tally, but yeah, let's, let's proceed. Act on Disputes have a new single out called Daedalus. This was my first time listening to Act on Disputes. They're a deathcore band from Slovakia and have been putting out material for a while now, but it doesn't look like there's anything beyond an EP and then an additional single three years ago. So Daedalus feels like a proper place to start with this band because I really enjoyed this song. The instrumentation is fast and pulsating and works well with the vocals and crafting an atmosphere that feels frantic. Yet, even when the rhythm slows down toward the midpoint of the track for a breakdown, the brutality is still there in spades, and that's a testament to just how perfectly Act on Disputes executed on their intentions. And I know I said they're a deathcore band, but this track has a lot of elements of progressive metalcore, so it feels like a really cool hybrid that I'd like to hear more of from this band down the line. Adventurer dropped their new single, Telepathy Club. This band used to be on Blue Swan Records, so. Take that as a description for what their sound is. I will never get tired of well-made swancore, and that's exactly what Telepathy Club is. It just, you, you know, guitar work that is so ear-soothing, yet chaotic at the same time. But vocally, I could pull some Kurt Travis-esque tones on that end. So, if you're into that sector of Dance Gavin Dance's library, or Royal Coda, or A Lot Like Birds, then this is definitely a track that I think you'd be into. There's a lot to celebrate here with this song, and it for sure makes me want to dive deeper into Adventurer's library and get a better understanding for who they are, because they have more to their name than I thought. Akuma6 put out the song Katana. 
This features Tobias Reich, who is currently in Novelis and used to be in Alaska. That was actually the element of this song that got me interested in it because Tobias is one of my favorite screamers of the last few years. I hadn't heard of Akuma 6 before, but this song makes me glad that I know of them now because I really enjoyed it. The heavier sections of this track are great, and there's this repetitive sound implemented that reminds me of Mario 64. Specifically the Bowser boss fights for whatever reason, I'm, I'm not really sure, but that was just what I drew from this. The verses are very much so trap metal, and the rapping is done in a style that reminded me of Ghost Mane, which I liked a lot. Very quickly though, the song becomes heavy again, and you get a full-blown metalcore track that is, in my opinion, among the most well-delivered songs of the genre in recent weeks. Tobias' verse sees him utilize a mixture of yelling and screaming in a way that matches the song's energy because he's genuinely rapping, and I can't think of another scenario in either Alaska or Novelis where he channeled that side of the scene. Katana is such a sick fucking song, and I hope there's more activity from Akuma 6 throughout the year. Did Breathe Atlantis drop the song of the year last week? I, I don't know, man. I, I really don't know, but I've been thinking about that a lot ever since I first heard Overdrive. This is the band's first song since their 2019 album Soulmade, and I need to give credit to the State of the Scene podcast for my discovery of that record. It was one of Marco's favorite albums that year, and so I listened to it, and so many songs have stayed in rotation ever since for me. Namely, Addiction to the Worst, because I think that's one of the best songs I've heard in the last few years. And admittedly, that album was my only exposure to Breathe Atlantis, so I went into Overdrive expecting something that sounded similar, and instead, I got a fucking blistering metalcore track that knocked every bit of wind out of me. Everything about this song worked so incredibly well. The screams, the cleans, the catchy instrumentation, especially in the pre-chorus and chorus. And that chorus is so fucking massive and just, like, arena-ready, for lack of another way of phrasing that. And I know I said this about a song last week, but this was another track where I could imagine Attack on Titan being set to it. And I guess that's because of the mentions of walls and devils in the lyrics. Everything is Attack on Titan. Everything is anime. Y you know what, actually, I, I meant that just as a random comment, but now I'm sitting here and thinking about it, and I feel like everything really is anime. Especially within this music scene, because my introduction to all of this was through Dragon Ball Z AMVs back when I was in elementary. But just to circle back to Overdrive, this song was a massive dub, and I've been listening to it non-stop since last week. I'm really interested in seeing how I feel about this song in December, because I know that if the year ended today, this would have a real genuine shot at being my number one song of the year. Bryce Fox put out his first single of the year so far in a track called Golden Boy. At its core, this song uses that same bouncy drum beat that I've heard in so many other songs by this point, like Ludens by Bring Me the Horizon, Black Skinhead by Kanye West, Uprising by Muse. And I hope that by making those comparisons, anyone listening to this can successfully understand what drum beat I'm talking about. But that's not a detriment to this song because I thought it was really good. Bryce has, like, two different tones that he incorporates for the verses and then the chorus. I think his voice and delivery work really well for this type of alternative rock. And the hook of, I want to be your golden boy, but I got a price you can't afford, was really catchy and remained stuck in my head for much of the last week. Caskets have a brand new single called Lost in Echoes, and this is going to be on their debut album Lost Souls, which drops on August 13th. This band used to be named Captives, and they had an EP under that name back in 2019. But they had to change their name a few months ago because some fucking Little Dick Energy band from Australia registered a trademark on the name in the UK. So my worry was that Captives would lose some momentum through all this, but the support for them is still there, and possibly bigger than it was before, so that's really fucking dope to see. And I'm so excited for the future of this band with their debut album dropping because they're building a streak of great singles now heading into August. Lost in Echoes further shows that 
even without an album to cast its name for the time being, they just fucking get it and understand how to write catchy melodies with heart-thumping instrumentation. The chorus is huge on this track, and Matt Flood is so impressive in his execution on vocals. Personally, I have the same feeling listening to Caskets right now that I did with bands like Bad Omens and Thousand Below years ago, where it was easy to point at them and say, they're next. They're fucking it. They're the band who this scene is going to just gravitate toward and champion, and I think Caskets absolutely deserve that. Classic Jack got a feature from Kellen Quinn on their newest single called Tunnel Vision. I, I think that whenever I see the words featuring Kellen Quinn on any song, I have this preconceived notion of what that song sounds like, and then a song like Tunnel Vision comes along and shows me that I have no idea what I'm talking about. Because this track is actually quite heavy and falls into a category of a scene that I wouldn't necessarily associate Kellen with. Even if it's not vastly different from the heavier moments in Sleeping of Siren's discography. This song is so fucking good, and like I just mentioned, it's heavy at times, but then the chorus channels the energy from 2000's post-hardcore and its delivery of cleans, and I was so, so appreciative of that. Kellen comes in during the second verse and takes center stage to build to the final chorus that also features him, and even with Kellen's insane range, I don't feel that he outshined the actual clean vocalists of this band. I think they worked in unison and gave the two choruses different vibes, if that makes any sense. Really cool song that was really one of the highlights of last week the more I think about it. Concrete Castles dropped their second single which is called Half Awake. I'm actually kind of confused by this band because the members are all in a different band called First to Eleven, which gained popularity as a cover band over the last few years. So, I'm assuming that Concrete Castles is just a different name to separate themselves from their covers, but an article about this song on Equal Vision's website said that Concrete Castles started as a cover band. So I don't know if this is meant to actually be 1st to 11, even though they're still active. Man, I don't fucking know, but I, I did like this new song. I thought it was really cool how it's a rock song, that follows the structure of a pop song in the sense that the pre-choruses build to a chorus that has no lyrics for a moment and implements electronic elements to create this infectious melody that acts as the star of the song in my opinion. I'm really into Half Awake and I shouldn't be surprised by that since I did enjoy more than a few of First to Eleven's covers. Honey is the new single from Days Like These. This was my first time listening to this band and when I pressed play on this track, I genuinely couldn't believe how good this band sounds, despite still being relatively new with not a lot of material in their discography. This song exists in that sector of the scene that takes the right elements from post-hardcore and mixes them into the right elements of R&B. I think when that specific style is nailed with the prowess of a band like Days Like These, it's such a fucking treat to listen to. The chorus is such an achievement in its own right, just because of how catchy it is, and how great the vocals sound. Like, the vocalist, and I apologize if I'm pronouncing his name incorrectly, Callan has the perfect voice to accompany those post-hardcore and R&B tones that I just talked about. And it was actually announced just earlier that this band will be on a few dates of Polaris tour in June. So, I'm really happy that some people who have never heard of this band before will get to be introduced to them through those shows. Defocus put out Diverge, which is the third single from their album, In the Eye of Death, We Are All the Same. Hard fucking name for a record, by the way. The song features Tom Brummer? Brumer? Why the fuck can I pronounce names? Fr uh, who is the vocalist for The Oklahoma Kid. And I wasn't familiar with that band prior to hearing this song, but what Diverge achieved was giving me two new bands to look further into because I thought everything about this track worked. It's unabashedly heavy while the chorus felt so huge and powerful and sort of gave me vibes of Sam Carter on All Our Gods Have Abandoned Us. It just had that same effect vocally and how, like, I guess ferocious the yelling sounded. This album isn't set to be released until July 2nd, so 
I would hope that we get at least one more single between now and then, because I was really fucking impressed with Defocus. Drown This City released a new song called Borderline Existence, and with this came the announcement of a new EP called Colors We Don't Know out on May 28th. I liked their last single, New Burn Order, but I think that Borderline Existence is a big step ahead of that. It was fucking effortless how well this song shifted between being a straight-up metalcore song to this emotional journey in the pre-chorus once Alex Reed's vocals came in. Like, there's this angelic element to her delivery on that specific section, and, and then her voice just soars in the chorus with the heavy instrumentation backing her up. That atmosphere made for such a remarkable song, and while Borderline Existence isn't the lead single for the new EP, I feel like it's the song that is leading this band into the EP, and I cannot wait to hear it at the end of the month. Elio enlisted the aid of Chase Atlantic and No Rome to remix her song Hurts to Hate Somebody. This is off of a project where a couple of her songs are being remixed, and I believe that's supposed to be out on May 14th. She tweeted that it would be out next Friday, and that was on May 6th, so I, I guess we'll see exactly when that drops. Um, but as far as this particular song goes, I thought it was pretty cool. I would hope that everyone who listens to this show knows by now that I fucking love Chase Atlantic, so I'll always be down for new material from them. And I didn't know about No Rome prior to this remix, so I appreciate having other artists introduced to me who I can research. All that being said, I don't know if this song was necessary because the original version of Hurts to Hate Somebody was just fine as it is. But I'm not mad about this remix existing. I think if I had to recommend either version, I would say the original just because that gives you a proper experience of listening to Elio as opposed to other artists singing a song of hers. But again, I thought this was cool. And, you know, good remixes will never be harmful to anyone. Fiddlehead dropped their latest single, Down University. This is off of their upcoming album, Between the Richness, which is out on May 21st. And I have no fucking clue how I'm gonna do this show that week. Because the release calendar I have for myself is up to like, 8 or 9 fucking albums on May 21st. And they're not small albums, or EPs, I mean. I'm talking about like, The Devil Wars Prada, 21 Pilots, Waterparks. I think... Never Tell, however you say their name, is that day, and I'm really, really excited for that as well. And I know there are probably a handful of releases for that day that I don't even know about yet, but I will want to review them once I have them. So, it's a fucking headache, but I guess I'll just have to worry about it later. I thought this was another good song from them. Uh, it's very indie in its sound, and it's kind of a safer play than their last song that I reviewed, which was Heart to Heart. So I guess in that sense... I'm higher on Heart to Heart than I am Down University, but I still thought this was a fun track, and I'll say now that I, I might not be expecting something groundbreaking or mind-blowing with Between the Richness next Friday, but I have no reason to believe that I won't enjoy the record just based off of the singles. Hacktivist dropped a sorta new single in Reprogram. This song was actually released back in 2019, but this new version is reworked in not only its mixing, but also just the sprinkling of different, more, I guess, like, tech-sounding elements. It's definitely still heavy, and it sounds, honestly, a lot better this time than it did two years ago. I really like Hacktivist, and it's kind of crazy to think that their upcoming album on June 18th, Hyper Dialect, is only going to be their second one. The singles going into Hyper Dialect have been fucking nuts, and that's indicative of this band's nature altogether. They're the definition of unapologetic in what they do, both lyrically and instrumentally, and I just think Reprogram is a very good representation of that. Where the Trees Touch the Sun is the new single from Heartsick. I don't believe this is attached to a larger project as of now, or at least from what I could see on their social media accounts. Honestly, this was one of the few songs last week where... Okay, so just to backtrack a little bit, Every Friday, I review all of these singles that I'm talking about on this show on Instagram and Twitter, and I give it a rating of either I liked it, I didn't mind it, or I didn't like it. I said that I liked this song, but for a few minutes, I was really having to think about whether I liked it or just didn't mind it. 
because it's very genty, and I'm not always super in tune with gent. I think it's very hit or miss, and I couldn't figure out exactly how I felt about where the trees touch the sun. And then I just asked myself, if this song was made by volumes, would I like it? And, and that's where I understood that I probably would, and thus I shouldn't take anything out on this band, especially for what was my introduction to them. It's very bouncy and has great rhythm, and although I'm still warming up to the vocal delivery on here, I've really got nothing disparaging to say about this track. Rescue Me is the name of the new single from If I Were You featuring Rory Rodriguez from Dayseeker and Hurtwave. This band had an album last year called Radiant Dark that I remember being something I loved initially, but my interest in it definitely dwindled over time. So going into Rescue Me, I expected to like it, and then I ended up loving it. This absolutely would have been my favorite song on the record had it been on it. I think the whole band sounds great and as polished as they've ever been, even if it's only been like 9 or 10 months since the last time I listened to something new from them. The chorus is powerful and catchy while not compromising the instrumentation. It's still heavy and accelerates the song's tempo the same way the other sections do. Rory comes in on the second verse and kills his feature like he does everything else his name and voice are attached to. There's a brief breakdown later on in the track that spoke to exactly what the nostalgic metalcore kid in me looks for in breakdowns. You know, slowing down the rhythm and letting the guitars do their... chugging, I guess you would refer to it as. And that was a stellar way to end a song that I really enjoyed and found a lot to love in. Inhaler dropped a new single called Who's Your Money On Plastic House. This is off of their debut album coming on July 9th, It Won't Always Be Like This. My first reaction to this song wasn't necessarily favorable because of the 6 minute runtime, and I had this weird thing where I sometimes am turned away by songs if I think they're too long for my liking. And 6 minutes is around the mark where I think duration can be pushing it. This song was really really solid enough for its runtime for me to have the opposite reaction though. I, I thought this song had some some really cool, like, killers vibes to it, and it felt both danceable and dreary at the same time. The last two minutes become really curious because the song slows down to the point where it's unrecognizable to everything you heard in the prior four minutes. Like, as if that section could have been justified being its own little interlude on the album. So my hope is that that's how it's treated on it won't always be like this, and the pace remains steady on whatever song is after this. So currently, I like the song, but in the context of the full record, maybe that'll change. I don't know. Okay, so for these next two singles, I want to reiterate something that I've definitely said here before on this show. Ulterior is a platform primarily for alternative music, and to emphasize that keyword, primarily not exclusively. So whenever there's a chance for me to talk about something that isn't from the scene, but I'm still interested in, I want to do that. You know, I, I did it for Brockhampton last month, and maybe some others that I can't remember right now, but I hope my point is getting across successfully. Isaiah Rashad released Lay Witya, which will eventually be on his third album, The House is Burning. That'll be his first record since 2016's The Sun's Tirade, which I was really into. But it was Isaiah's first record, Sylvia Demo, that I hold in incredibly high esteem. Like, I fucking love that record, and still revisit it regularly. Lay Witya is super catchy, and has a chill backing track that complements Isaiah's delivery extraordinarily well. This song features Duke Deuce, and I think he holds his own and really adds to the experience. Uh, unless I missed something, there weren't any details about a release time frame for The House is Burning that I could find, but it, it is good to at least know that Isaiah's album is coming sometime soon this year, because it's definitely been too long since his last release of a larger format. J. Cole dropped Interlude, which will be on his upcoming album The Off Season, out on May 14th, so, the week that this episode is going live. I probably don't like J. Cole as much as most people who enjoy his music do. I thought Cole World, Born Sinner, and 2014 Forest Hills Drive were really good. 
For Your Eyes Only and KOD had their moments, but ultimately weren't records that I went back to often. I just, I don't know, man, I just don't think of J. Cole whenever I think of, like, the hip-hop artists who have really shaped my interest in the genre over the last number of years. But, you know, all that being said, I will be reviewing the off-season on the next episode. But for now, I'll just go over Interlude and say that I thought it was really cool. It's a rather short song, and J. Cole doesn't even really get going with his verse until 45 seconds in or so. But once he gets into the rhythm, he sounds fucking great. I think as far as lead singles for a J. Cole record goes, this could have been hit or miss for me. But I ended up really fucking with Interlude, and I'm eager to hear what the rest of the record presents. Joywave put out Every Window is a Mirror, which is the lead single from the EP of the same name out on June 25th. Joywave is a name I've heard of before, but I never actually went out of my way to hear them. Just because it didn't seem like something I'd be particularly interested in, I, I try to gather as much content for this show as I can, so when I saw that there was a new Joywave single, I was like, fuck it, you know, whatever. Let me listen to this so I can talk about it. And I thought this was actually pretty cool. It's got great use of some pop elements from prior time periods, yet it still sounded like a modern indie song, if that makes any sense. The hook of the song that says the title, Every Window is a Mirror, is really catchy and is said with the exact energy that was needed to match the vibrancy of the instrumentation at those points in the song. A really successful track, and I, I'm definitely interested in the EP. It's Jutes Hours again on this show. This time, Jutes has a single called Painkiller, which stylistically goes back to where he was in his singles run prior to Fuck Your Boyfriend, which I talked about last week as being like a pop-punk song. Painkiller has a really cool pop feel to it, and the chorus is super singable with the line, I'll be your medicine when you get sick, you said your heart is broken into bits, your little magic pill, I'll be your fix, when you're under the weather, I'll be your painkiller. And this might be such a random statement to make, but you know what song this reminded me of? Stitches by Shawn Mendes. I just felt like Jutes had that tone to his delivery, and it doesn't sound far off from the song instrumentally either. And that's a complete compliment, because I love Stitches, and I also love Painkiller. I'm, I, I'm assuming Jutes will have another new song this week, so, you know, we'll resume Jutes Hour on the next episode of this show. And in this week's edition of Featuring Travis Barker, Kenny Hoopla has a new song out called Hollywood Sucks. Had it not been for Overdrive by Breathe Atlantis, this would have been my favorite song of the week. I fucking adore everything about Hollywood Sucks. Like, the way that it's more in line with just straight-up punk music than pop-punk. It's fast-paced and energetic, and even when it slows down just a slight bit in the chorus for Kenny Hoopla to deliver some lines, it still has such a raw feel to it. And, and when I say raw, I don't mean that in reference to the production, because this shit is so crisp. An incredibly well-rounded song that was accompanied by the announcement of Survivor's Guilt the Mixtape, which drops on June 11th, and bruh, I am fucking ready for Kenny Hoopla to own that month. And I'm looking at my release calendar for June, and even with, like, Beartooth, Wristmeat Razor, and Midgar, Kenny Hoopla can easily just fucking rule June. And granted, I'm saying that about a mixtape that I've only heard two songs from, but those two songs have genuine substance to them. Light the Torch dropped a brand new song called More Than Dreaming. I started listening to this song last Friday, and when the vocals came in, I was like, man, this guy sounds like Howard Jones. And then I realized, it is Howard Jones, and that shows how little I pay attention to that sector of the alternative scene that is very much so strictly metal. Howard still sounds as good as he ever did in Killswitch Engage, which is great to hear. I always enjoyed his work, and I surprisingly enjoyed this song as well. And I say surprisingly because I'm not normally captivated by just straight-up metal. Like, I thought the Gojira album I reviewed last week would be the extent of my fascination with that genre in this day and age. But, nah man, Light the Torch really killed it on this song. A and this is from the album You Will Be the Death of Me, which drops on June 25th. Lonely Spring have a new song called Satellite, 
In some ways, I got set it off energy out of this single, which I didn't mind at all. Calling it pop punk doesn't really sit right with me. Like, it's a bit more layered than just that. And admittedly, this was also my first time listening to them, so I'm going into this review with just a marginal understanding of who Lonely Spring are from a sonic standpoint. The chorus really delivered on its big moments, particularly with the vocal delivery and how the instrumentation accompanied it. Super cool song, and it makes Lonely Spring another one of the dozens of bands this podcast has introduced me to who I need to look further into. Loon released their latest single, Exit Inward. This is the follow-up to the band's EP from last year, Ghost, and I was a really big fan of this song. The instrumentation is heavy while having this groove element to it that really showcases the band's prowess aside from just the stellar performance on vocals. There's a point around the minute and a half mark where the band just goes fucking apeshit and there are blast beats at seemingly every turn for a small duration. The structure is very unstable in the nicest way and does its job at keeping the listener entertained and wondering what's going to happen next because no section of this song sounds the same. And I said this earlier about days like these, but Loon will also be on certain dates of the upcoming Polaris tour. So, it'll be fucking sick for people to get to experience this song live soon. Merci put out Never Coming Back, which is off of their EP on June 11th, Subtle Fiction 1. This is the third song released for that EP, the other two being Foolish Me and Haunt Me. Never Coming Back is really fucking cool, and doesn't have a formulaic structure that I think some pop rock songs can fall victim to. The verses feel stripped back. Yet, when you listen more closely, you can notice and appreciate just how much is actually going on from an instrumentation standpoint. And all while each chorus has their own unique elements, the hook of I'm not getting used to the fact I'm never coming back got stuck in my head all week, and I'm realizing now how badly I might have fucked up by not naming this one of my favorite songs from last week when I had the chance. See... That's one of the biggest pros of this podcast. It allows me to figure out live on air my mistakes in front of an audience and have everyone see that I don't actually know nearly as much as I think I do about music. But anyway, whatever. Stream Never Coming Back. Stream Mercy. You should also stream Nathan James' new single called Contain Myself. Now, this one I actually did name one of my favorite songs last week, and I do stand by that. Stylistically, this fits right in with the new age of pop-punk from unconventional artists we've seen over the last few months like MGK and Modson. Kinda want to say Maggie Lindemann, but I definitely put her on a pedestal above everyone else. I'm not sure if Youngblood sounds like this, but maybe he's another example. There's attitude to this song while it manages to retain its singability and catchiness. The chorus is really simple in its hook that just repeats the line, I cannot contain myself. But it was on the second chorus of this song where I took a step back and I just realized how much I was truly into it. That chorus is extended just a bit and Nathan asks the question, where do we go from here? And I guess it was the chord progression of that part that really drew me in. It reminded me of the second chorus to Afterlife by Holding Absence. So, uh, maybe someone listening to this can take that and use it to understand what I'm trying to say. Really good song, and I await more from Nathan James because he's got more than a couple of singles to his name already, and those would look really good as part of a bigger project. Of Sulphur put out their second single, Bathe in the Flame. This band has Ricky Hoover on vocals, who used to be in Suffocate, and was known for having obscenely large gauges, and being really fucking good at screaming, might I add. Like, he could actually be one of the best deathcore vocalists I've ever heard in my life. So it's cool to hear him on a new project, and I think the song is like a haven for everything I could ask for from this particular style of deathcore that lingers on the line of blackened death metal. The inclusion of clean singing on the chorus really took me aback, but it sounded like it fit right in with the direction of the instrumentation somehow. This was a massive song, and I enjoyed the fuck out of it, and I really want more from Of Sulphur.
Maybe this was another song that I fucked up on by not having it be one of my 10 favorite songs from last week for social media, but oh well, uh, I'm not going to keep dwelling on that stuff. Rationale released a new single called Incentive. Am I not supposed to know about this band or something? Because all of their social media is private, yet it's hard to not notice them because they're a supergroup made up of Joe Taylor and Ryan Rumchaks, who are both in Knucklepuck and Dan Lampton, who used to be in Real Friends. This song is a fucking downer, but it's so good at the same time. Sonically, it doesn't hide any of its sorrows since it matches the energy from the lyrics, or at least I felt that way listening to it. There's a repeating line of, there's so many people that wouldn't surround me if I wasn't making them any money. And that's such a dark and brooding, yet accurate way for someone with I guess clout, for lack of a better word, to look at their environment, and it makes them really question what's real and what's not. I don't even want to call this a sad boy anthem, because that's not what it is. It's just life, dude, and life fucking sucks. Um, this song doesn't suck, though. It's very good. V good. Revision Revised are back with a new single, Call of the Haunted. This is another band that kinda went unnoticed by me, their first song on Spotify dates back to 2014, and they had a record in 2018, but this was my first time listening to them. I know I say that about a lot of these bands, but it's really true. I go out of my way to purposely find bands that I've never heard of before so I can talk about them on this show, as opposed to just covering bands I'm familiar with. This song kind of took me by surprise because it starts off like any standard metalcore song before going into a very R&B-inspired first half of the verse. The song goes back into its heavy nature, and it remains kinda constant in that regard until it reaches the breakdown, which is spectacularly brutal. Overall, this to me was a very effective song, and I'd be really interested in hearing more from Revision Revised at some point soon this year. Rise Against have a new single out called The Numbers. Y'all know who Rise Against are, right? I don't need to go too in-depth on their identity. Um... This is off of the album Nowhere Generation, which is due out on June 4th. I honestly haven't kept up with Rise Against for a while now. Like, I think Endgame was the last album of theirs I heard in full, and, and that's already been 10 years. But listening to the numbers, it doesn't sound to me like they've missed a step. This band still has purpose and direction after all these years, and they're sticking to their punk roots. The pacing of the chorus really contrast the verses because the latters are very frantic and feel like a race against time, whereas the former's kind of let the track breathe while Tim gets to deliver his message with the exact same expertise that he did in the more dated days of this band. I really like this song, and I'm excited to hear the rest of Nowhere Generation because I feel like I owe it to Rise Against to become fully invested in what they're doing again. Sable Hills dropped a new song called Messiah. They're a Japanese metalcore band that I first heard last year on a three-song EP called Flood. I thought that release was very amusing, and Messiah is largely the same. Wicked feels like the only word I can use to describe the screams. They sounded like nothing else I heard last week in this genre, and really helped in shaping Sable Hills' unique identity. The chorus introduced clean singing that on the surface, seems like it wouldn't work, but it absolutely does. Factor in the exceptional guitar work, and you have this insanely effective song that just adds to my belief that Sable Hills really haven't missed yet, and this is for sure a band that any metalcore fan should be paying attention to. Like a Thief is the new single from Sorry Ghost. I want to say this is the follow-up to their album from last year, The Morning After, that dropped at a particularly bad time of my personal life, so I only remember hearing about it. If I did listen to anything off of it, it wasn't the whole album and I have no retention of it. So treating this single like it's my introduction to Sorry Ghost, I thought it was highly enjoyable. Super catchy and bouncy and upbeat pop punk that I would say really does fit in with what's going on near the upper echelon of the genre at the moment. Maybe it is formulaic? But it understands that formula to a fucking T and really lets me know that Sorry Ghosts get it and they're more than capable of establishing themselves as real names within the scene. 
Tiger Cub put out a new single called Funeral, which is from their album As Blue as Indigo out on June 18th. I remember being really high on their last single, Blue Mist in My Head. And Funeral is very, very different from that song. This one is acoustic and really succeeds in establishing this eerie atmosphere. Like, it's not scary per se, but if I were listening to this in the dark, I'd probably be looking around just making sure my surroundings are what I think they are. Some of these notes really hang on and feel like they're not willing to let the listener go. And then there's whistling later on that really doesn't help with what I just said about the eeriness attached to this track. Funeral was weird yet captivating, and I found myself wanting to listen to it more and more despite being creepy. This Will Be My Year by Two Friends featuring Point North got a remix from D-Rock and Vance. The original single was only released two months ago, so I was surprised that it's getting a remix treatment already, and especially because the song itself already had some kind of an electronic flair to it. But what D-Rock and Vance did here was turn it into an EDM song that really capitalizes on the dance element of that genre. It's really fucking good and comes across as the kind of song that I could listen to when I need something to lift me up. Like, it just has that happy factor to it, which juxtaposes the artwork being a middle finger pointing at you, but, you know, whatever. It's cool. I love this remix. Violet9 released their new single, Crash and Burn, featuring Kulik. I don't know if anyone listening to this would remember or even have heard of this band, but there's is, was, a band called The New Low. They were around a couple of years ago, and their vocalist, Garrett, sadly passed away not that long ago. But I bring them up because this song really, really reminded me of them. And, and like, yeah, it has those same characteristics of, like, pop-inspired alternative rock, if that's even a real genre that exists. It's not exactly a heavy song, but the instrumentation feels like it just oozes confidence and really helps in making Violet 9 feel like they've been around forever and know what they're doing. They're still kind of new, but they sound like they're so experienced in this shit. Crash and Burn is catchy, it has great melodies, there's a part near the final minute that resembles a breakdown, even if that's not exactly what it is. I liked this song a lot and was immensely impressed with how advanced Violet 9 sound already. Yannicka dropped their newest single called Call Me a Saint. This is their third one so far this year, and just saying, an album or EP would look really fucking good at some point soon. I've been trying to get anyone who will listen to me to give Yannicka a chance, because I think they're fucking incredible and one of the coolest bands going today that still feel like they're somehow floating under the radar despite having nearly a million listeners on Spotify. The opening line really sets the tone for what Call Me A Saint deals with lyrically. I was cold, I was lonely, no one thought to even phone me. Look at me now, I'm a fighter, I'm a strong bitch baby, call me designer. It's such an honest take about mental health, and that's only reaffirmed on the powerful and magnificent chorus. And this song is another extension of what I already said about Yonika being so fucking dope, and I strongly encourage anyone hearing this to look at their discography, because you literally cannot pick a bad starting point with them. They are so fucking talented. And for the final single, Younger Hunger dropped Charlie Kaufman, which I don't believe is attached to anything as of now, but I could be wrong. Um, this song has some fucking character to it right from the start. It feels like each instrument is strategically introduced as the song progresses and that buildup is very much appreciated by me. It's an element that makes this track feel special, and once the chorus hits, the whole track comes to life and you understand exactly what it's meant to be. It's like, it's like as if you're rewarded for choosing to listen to it through the pacing, and I think that use of the instrumentation to tell a story will always do wonders for songs the way that it did for Charlie Kaufman. Okay, so now that all of the singles are done, I'll move on to the larger releases. We have three EPs and two... Uh, I'm sorry, I mean two EPs and three albums. That was my bad. 
I'll start with the two EPs, and normally I'd go from my least to most favorite, but I rated both of these EPs 5 out of 5, so really they're even. Convictions dropped the EP, I Won't Survive. This is their first major release since 2018's Hope for the Broken, which I don't have a ton of memory listening to. There were four singles that supported this release, those being Hurricane, The Price of Grace, The War That Followed Me Home, and Wreckage. The War That Followed Me Home is the opener, and it literally wastes no time getting right into the meat of this EP, that being blistering metalcore that just punches you in the fucking face. Even when the more melodic side of this band shows in the chorus, it's still quite heavy in the instrumentation, and really establishes the talent found within this band. The breakdown on this song has some really cool moments in its guitar work that kind of reminded me of A Quiet Place to Die by Alpha Wolf. This was such a fucking phenomenal way to start the EP, and then Wreckage keeps the pace going masterfully. That song retains a lot of the same elements I just spoke about, all the way down to the breakdown with noticeably stellar guitar work. The Price of Grace feels like takes the most chances up to this point in the EP, with a melodic and quiet section that is extended compared to the prior tracks. Teeth is just two minutes of relentless metalcore that I really, really appreciated. Just a good song that I'd imagine would make for a killer pit at a show. A and then there's Hurricane, which was my favorite song off of this EP. And while I've been raving about the heaviness of this band so far, this song really scales back on that element and acts as a very capable alternative metal song. The chorus is exceptionally catchy, and I couldn't believe that this track managed to fit perfectly into the material on this EP. Everything I Never Told You has some of those characteristics, although it's only an instrumental track that leads into the closer, Last Cell. That song starts off with just an acoustic guitar before exploding into a wall of sound, and from there, I think this song kind of acts like a summarization of every sonic tone explored on the EP. So in that regard, it's the perfect closer to what I felt was a perfect EP. Convictions really fucking left their mark with this release, and I couldn't be any happier with it. It's only 25 minutes long, so if anyone wants a breeze of a metalcore record to get through, this is absolutely it. Bad Love put out Life Imitates Art, which is their second EP to date. I talked about a single from this EP a few episodes ago, Follow the Leader, which I was favorable toward, and I feel even stronger about it having heard the full project it's attached to. I think that song was a good introduction to this band's mixture of hard rock and metalcore. To contrast that, the opening interlude, Kids, is this really weird, yet powerful song with a drum machine and various sound effects and sound bites. That sets up Social Suicide featuring Crossfaith, and that is a massive song with a standout chorus, in my opinion. It achieves much of the same that I said just now about Follow the Leader, and it makes sense as being part of the opener to the EP. And now take everything that I've been saying and apply it even further to DMU, because I think that song has an even bigger course and really showcases the melodic sensibility and prowess of this act. By that point in the EP, Life Imitates Art already felt like a victory lap for this band that I knew relatively nothing about before last month. Come Clean pretty much sheds any bit of the metalcore elements that comprised those prior songs, yet really manages to still be a memorable track because of its pacing and effectiveness in delivering a softer, yet still emphatic song. 30 Mile Zone is an electronic interlude that really sounds like it wouldn't be out of place on a Bring Me the Horizon release. It's so, like, techy in its production, and it really has that Jordan Fish feel to it. Which brings me to the song Feel Good, which, that begins a two-song stretch of tracks that have virtually nothing in common with any of the previous material. Feel Good is a pop rock song with so much soul to it. The bass line is infectious and the vocals channel R&B tones that I didn't hear before this anywhere on the EP. Genuinely a big what the fuck moment on this release, but it was such a welcome one. 
I fucking loved Feel Good, and it's absolutely my favorite track on the EP. A and then this closes with Sleep Debt, which features an EDM group named Sinma, or at least I believe that's how it's pronounced. And to bring real EDM musicians into what was largely an alternative metal release feels like such a Bring Me the Horizon move, a and I don't mean to keep making those comparisons, but I am curious just how much influence this band took from them, because they did this concept fucking justice in my opinion. Sleep Debt is a beautiful closer, and what really was the exclamation point on a fucking perfect EP that I didn't see coming. Like, I knew I would like it, but I didn't know I'd love it and be addicted to it the way that I am. Everything about Bad Love at the moment works, and I cannot wait to see what the future of this band brings forth. And now, onto the three albums which I will talk about in order from my least to most favorite. BB Rexa released her new album called Better Mistakes, and I want to reiterate what I said earlier when covering Isaiah Rashad and J. Cole. Whenever there's a release outside of this scene that interests me, I will talk about it, and that's why I'm discussing BB Rexa. And truthfully, there is a small flair of alternative in this album, since the opening song, Break My Heart Myself, features Travis Barker. That ended up being one of my favorite songs on this album. It's super fucking catchy and is as effective of a pop song I've heard in a minute now. And by that, I mean one of the songs from Madison Beer's album that I can't remember the name of right now. BB sounded great on this song though, and I felt like that was a recurring theme throughout this record. There are definitely songs on here that I didn't really connect with, such as Sabotage and the Rick Ross featured Amore, but I think BB's voice was still a shining point in them. There's a stretch of songs on this album with features on each of them, and they're all vastly different from each other. My Dear Love featuring Ty Dolla Sign and Trevor Daniel somehow manages to feel like a grunge pop song in a really weird way. Die for a Man featuring Lil Uzi Vert has some slight pop rock elements in its chorus. Baby I'm Jealous featuring Doja Cat is unapologetically pop and has some real confidence to it. And then there's On The Go featuring Pink Sweats and Lune, which brings a flair of Latin music because of Lune's inclusion. Almost everything on this record worked, and even if I liked all but two songs, some portions do feel repetitive, which is a shame because the album is only 36 minutes. But then the record closes on what I felt was its strongest note with Mama, which interpolates Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. This song is beautiful and is probably where BB's voice sounds its fullest, especially on the chorus. I'm not ruling out the possibility that this might just be one of my favorite songs of the year from any artist, let alone just BB. I've said before on this show that one of the biggest privileges in doing these reviews and podcasts weekly is that I have rekindled my love for Deathcore, and another addition to that is Osaya's new album, Loss. This is their third album, so they're not exactly new in the grand scheme of things, but they're new to me. So I went into this record completely blind. I had not heard any of the singles released, nor any part of the band's discography. The intro song, Realm of Misery, is just this one minute track that sounds like it's from some fucking horror movie or video game. And, and truthfully, the game Dead Space was all I could think about when listening to this song. And, and there's like this beating heart that you can hear later on in the song, while there are these screams that sound like cries for help. And then that leads into The Second Law, which immediately opens with as fucking blistering of a blast beat as I've heard in my entire life. And by that point, I realized that this isn't just fucking deathcore, this is death metal. I was so captivated by everything I was hearing on that song, because it just never let up. It felt like this record was never giving me a chance to catch my breath, but I didn't want to change that for anything. Paracuja achieves the same feat by starting off magnificently heavy and never letting up on that sound. Queen of Sorrow is the first song to give the listener some space, but even then, the buildup that encompasses the first 30 seconds still feel menacing, 
and you know that something really fucking big is coming. And then that song just crashes through a wall like every other song before it. And really, the rest of the album has those same characteristics, so it's hard for me to sit here and talk about each song without sounding like I'm just repeating myself. And I guess that's the one flaw I could find with it. Like, the album is 48 minutes long, which might be a sign of Lost overstaying its welcome. And, and I kind of position that as a question because I don't really know how I feel about that myself yet. I also haven't figured out if there's any way for me to sell Deathcore to anyone who doesn't listen to that type of music because I think the taste for Deathcore and heavy music in general is just something that you either have or you don't. So I will say that Lost by Osaya is near perfection for Deathcore and I cannot recommend it enough to anyone who considers themselves to be fans of the genre. Absolutely no time will be wasted listening to this if that's what you're into. Lastly, we have the debut self-titled album from Darko, which is a duo composed of Chelsea Green vocalist Tom Barber and Immure drummer Josh Miller. I feel pretty fucking strongly about this album, and I was hoping that would be the case, because up to this point, almost everything this band did captured my attention to the point where I would say that I prefer what Tom and Josh are doing on Darko over their recent stuff with their main bands. I saw a tweet the other day, I, I can't rem remember who it's from, but it said something along the lines of, what I appreciate about Darko is that it doesn't sound like Chelsea Grin or Immure, and I can agree with that. And I say that as someone who likes Immure and loves Chelsea Grin. But I think if you're going to have a side project, then it should have its own characteristics separate from what you're already doing. This style of deathcore found on this record is so unique to Darko, and I can't think of another record I've heard that sounds like this. The album opens with Splinter Cell, and you immediately get a sense of what this project is about through its electronic and futuristic intro that soon leads into a ferocious deathcore track that feels so haunting while also being something that you can't pull yourself away from. Every production choice matters to these tracks, and what I mean by that is that Every section would have been affected by the exclusion of any weird glitch sound that you hear in it. Splinter Cell was the perfect song to lead listeners into this release, and the second track, Fiend Dream, only pushes you further into the proverbial pole while trusting that you can keep yourself afloat amidst the chaos that is everything making up this record. Donna is the third song, and I'll be completely honest and say that when it was released as a single, I didn't entirely understand it. I had no issue with it being a softer song, but it just felt weird. On the full album though, I think I have a better understanding of what Donna's purpose is, and for that, I will gladly accept it. It's still my least favorite song on here though, but I have learned to like it. The stretch afterwards of Pretenders, Praise the Sun, and The Last of Us is fucking OP, and one of my favorite stretches on any record I've heard so far this entire year. Daniel features Courtney LaPlante from Spirit Box and Johnny Reeves from Kingdom of Giants, so that song acts as the metalcore and deathcore powerhouse that you'd expect it to. There is a song on the album later on, it's actually the penultimate song, that is this like ambient instrumental piece that I think can easily turn off some listeners, but personally, I fucking adored it, and I have no issue with its inclusion. It feels like the kind of musical piece that you need to break up the sheer heaviness of this record, or at least that's what I thought of it. I, I almost want to say that I wouldn't have been bothered had it been the closer, and I say that with all respect in the world to the actual closer, Darko, which features Molotov Solution vocalist Nick Arthur, I had some high hopes for this record after being a big fan of almost everything Darko did up to this point, and I can happily say that my expectations were somehow exceeded. This truly did end up being one of my favorite albums of the year so far, and my hope is that it's going to age really well, just as their EP from last year did. And that's it. That was everything that I had to talk about from last week. Again, my voice is fucking shot like it is every single week, 
and it's late here. I have to be up in like five hours to get vaccinated, so I'm not even going to try to come up with some kind of a clever outro. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene.